The thing I love most about that song is that it can only be sung out of a recognition that the will and way of God is far superior to our way. Um, Because when you say, I want you more and more, really what we're saying is I want your ways. I want your will for my life. And I recognize how flawed and mistaken I can sometimes be and how superior and powerful and all-knowing and sovereign God is. It's a comforting thing to sit before God who's sovereign yet powerful, who's powerful and loving, who's loving and merciful, who's full of grace and has shown us in the most powerful way that he loves us, that he accepts us, that he's for us. And so we don't stand before God in fear. We stand before God in hope, knowing and believing that that God has all things in his power, that that God has triumphed over this world, that we are truly, by our confession of faith, Secure in the arms and the embrace of that God. And out of that naturally flows the words, we want you more and more. Because he is fully good. Fully good. Amen. Well, welcome to Tri-Cities Church. Um, Glad that you are here. And we welcome you here. If this is your first time with us, welcome, welcome, welcome. Hopefully I'll get a chance to meet you uh, this morning. Shake your hand. Uh, We are uh, continuing in our financial series this morning. We started a series that we try to do once a year where we explore what the Bible says about money and how that affects our lives. Um, And there's so much there in the scriptures that um, it's hard to narrow it down into four weeks. But here we are in week uh, three, and, um, and I, I started off uh, this series talking about um, the fact that every time we do a financial series of some sort, as I study the scriptures that apply to how we live in relation to money, um, uh, uh, my life, my relationships get so much um, better. And I think next week, and I, and I was thinking about it this morning, and I don't like to go off the script, so to speak, so much, but... Um, um, but I was thinking about the, the, the way that we, this morning, the way we live in relationship with money. And we'll, we'll talk about this a little bit uh, more next week. But we all live in relationship with money. We need it uh, uh, for the very necessities uh, of our lives. And so we all have some kind of relationship with it. And um, just like any other relationship, like a human relationship, right, it could, be, it could influence us for good or it could influence us negatively, right? It can be manipulative or it could be uh, positive for us. It can help us uh, to walk in and embrace the ways of God or it could distract us from the ways of God. And so we all live in relationship with money. And so it's so important that we understand what the scriptures say about money. Uh, and how we live in that, into that relationship in this world because, um, because um, yeah, because of the power of influence that money has in our society, has the ability to, to pull us away from the way of God. And while we might sing songs like, I want you more and more, we find ourselves uh, pulling away more and more. So we always have to put this into our lives, into perspective, so that we can um, be free to draw near to God. One announcement before we get into our message on uh, this morning. We've been announcing for a while now our men's leadership lunch, which is beginning uh, next Sunday after church. Um, a number of you guys have reached out and expressed interest in that. Uh, again, um, this, is not a, uh, this is not a casual men's Bible study. It's not uh, just a group of guys that are getting together and uh, studying the scriptures kind of loosely. But we want this to be kind of a a cohort or a group of guys who for a year are um, um, reading uh, material on what it means to be a man, what it means to be a leader, what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, um, and exploring what God is calling us to do and to be in this world. And so if you're interested in that, um, please uh, send me an email, is my, um, uh, Wesley at tricitieschurch.com, tri-citieschurch.com. 
Uh, send me an email or grab me after church if you're interested in that. Um, I, uh, we just need to know who's going to be there, and, uh, and, and I, I kind of want to chat with you about the commitment that we're looking uh, for as we uh, enter into this year that I believe is going to make our lives so much stronger, our families stronger, and ultimately our church communities and, and everything around us um, better because we are becoming the people that God is calling us to be. All right. Well, let's pray and then we'll get into our message for this morning. God, we give you thanks this morning that you give us this opportunity to open the scriptures and for, we to, for us to find there a guide for the journey of faith. God, we're in this room right now because in some way you have moved in our lives to draw us at least one step closer to you. You have called us, you have initiated in us a journey towards you and your will and your ways. And so God, as we open the scriptures, I pray that you will, um, that you will give us understanding and insight, that you will help us to understand what we read and how the church applied it to their lives, and more so, God, how we can apply it to our lives right here, right now. Please help us, God, as we seek to live in a healthy relationship with our money, with our finances, that it may benefit our families, that it may benefit our communities, that we might be more whole. It's in your Son, Jesus Christ's name, that we pray. Amen. All right, so this is week three of this series that we started, uh, and it's simply looking at uh, principles that we can apply to our lives uh, to live healthier, um, to have a healthier financial future. And in the first week, if you remember, our first principle was put God first in your finances. You remember that? We talked about putting God first in our finances. And we saw that this requires of us a trust in God. There is no way that we can, as we've seen people do since uh, really the beginning of time with Cain and Abel. We all remember that? When we look back at Cain and Abel and they gave to God the first fruits of their increase. That was the crops or the cattle or whatever uh, they had. They gave to God off the top of what they had. 10% is what we see happening there in the Old Testament, what became known as the tithe. And for people to give to God off the top, not knowing what tomorrow would bring, right? Not knowing what the calendar was having waiting for them or the expenses that they might incur, right? Not knowing that, but giving to God off the top was the ultimate sign of trust in God. And what we see in the scriptures is that from the beginning until now, right, the people that trust and put their hope in God as a sign and symbol and as an act of their trust in God have given to God uh, off of the top of, 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 of what, they, what they gain, their increase. For us, it would be our salary, our income, or our wage, and so you can go back and listen to that message where we saw, we laid out this framework for why God wants us to uh, give our first fruits. Then the second week we saw um, our second principle uh, was uh, act your wage. That was last week, act your wage. And we l- explored this difficult concept, especially in our society. And we're kind of exploring it from a different angle again this morning, but the difficult concept of contentment, right? This idea that God has called us to be fully satisfied, fully um, um, uh, content in him, that, that he's enough. There was somebody that said, um, um, well, I shouldn't have started there because I can't remember what I was about to say. That wasn't, that's not in my notes, by the way. <clears throat> Scrap that because if I remember it, I'll come back to it. Um, um, but, but, but God, yeah, I know, uh, y'all know that happens to everybody. You know, even you're talking and you're in a conversation, you're like, what was I about to say? That didn't make sense. That just happened to me. The problem is I'm standing on a stage and that's not supposed to happen to me. Um, uh, but, but what we, what we see throughout scriptures and especially in Paul in Philippians, he says, I've learned the secret of of, of contentment, of being content, right? Whether I have plenty or I'm in, in need, whether I have all that I need or whether I'm not sure where my um, needs for tomorrow are going to come from, I've learned to be content. And basically that means um, 
I've, I've, I've learned that God is in control and I'm not going to be overwhelmed with anxiety and fear. But I'm going to seek satisfaction in him first and in him alone and trust him for tomorrow. I think there's that scripture, Jesus says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. And he's talking about people who are running after and pursuing certain things. And, and, and let me say this, um, this, this just does not make sense on, uh, on paper, right? Um, trusting God, being content does not make sense on paper. It only makes sense in, as an outflow, right, uh, flowing out of the life of faith. And so what we saw um, last week, and this is kind of where we landed, was that all this is about living into the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. That the Bible talks about this freedom that we have. And, 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 um, and freedom is a word that's used, it's very nuanced. It's used in many different ways, has different connotations in our society. And, um, and the way we understand uh, freedom uh, has been taken and used in, in, in multiple ways. But um, when we see in scriptures that, that freedom is found in the the way and will of God. So the more we live into the will of God, the more we discover uh, this, this freedom, right? Um, and so there's not this freedom without boundaries or uh, guardrails or, or without any kind of guidelines, um, but it's, it's us standing before the God of creation, the one who created us, who knows how this thing works best, and he's guiding us into that. And so when we think about our finances, um, um, we stand before the God who created it all, right? Who we believe is fully sovereign and in control. And we ask him to guide us into his will for our lives. And, and that has to be key. There's a sense of openness that, must, that we must have before God in every, area, in every area of our lives. We have to stand before God with this, this openness. Now, um, there's all kinds of ideas of what financial health looks like in our society, right? And uh, some of that may be, uh, maybe you're you, uh, like Dave Ramsey and you believe that financial health is to be debt-free, right? That, that you want to be free of all debt and that's maybe your financial goal. That's what you're reaching for, striving uh, for. For others, it's to have, uh, I think the rule, the rule is three months savings or three months expenses in savings. Um, three to six, some people say. And so maybe that's your goal is to have uh, three to six months expenses in savings. Or, or maybe your goal is to be retired by the age of 50 and you want to be on track for that. But there's all kinds of ideas of what financial health looks like in our society. And most of the time, right, most of the time, um, these are um, measurable markers, right, and that they're, and they're goal-driven. So they're driven to a particular goal. I want to Right. I mean, you, you just name it. Right. I want to be a homeowner or I want to uh, have more in savings or I, I want to be debt free or I, I don't want to have a car note. I, I don't want to uh, have to work anymore. Right. There's these goals that we see uh, kind of out there. Right. These future goals that we haven't yet reached, but we use those as markers of financial health. This is what it looks like for me to have a financial uh, healthy financial future. And we're uh, striving after and running after those goals. Now, there's absolutely nothing wrong with having financial goals. Um, in fact, I think all of us should have financial goals. But here's the problem, and this happens over and over again in our society. What often happens, and all too often happens, is that with our financial lives and just life in general, we end up compartmentalizing God. We end up putting God in a box, a silo, if you will, a category. And so we have this category over here for God, right? We have this category over here for relationships. We have this uh, category over here for um, maybe entertainment, right? The things that we like to do, right? And we have this category over here maybe for our finances. And what ends up happening is God belongs over here, right? He belongs in my, like what happens at church. Or he belongs at, uh, in my devotional time on, in the mornings. Or he, he belongs like when I'm praying over my meal uh, with my family or friends, right? Um, but he doesn't belong in my entertainment, right? He doesn't have any, he doesn't have any say-so over what 
what I find entertaining. Or, or he doesn't have any say-so in how I interact in my relationships. Because he's over here. He's in this, this compartment, this container, this category over here. Um, and and that, that, uh, that, that way of thinking influences the way we live financially, right? So financially, I want to, um, I want to uh, save. I, I want to be debt-free. I want to retire by 50. Um, but I haven't taken into account what God wants for me financially, right? Um, how the scriptures speak to my financial life and my financial future. And so what the scriptures are showing us and what we've been trying to see in this series is that God, um, God belongs in every category of our lives. That there is nothing that we can rightly exclude God from. And so as people who are followers of Jesus Christ, right, and who have accepted him as Lord of our lives, when we accept him as Lord of our lives, we're welcoming, welcoming him in to shape, to influence, to dictate even, right, how we live in relation to money and our financial lives. Now, there's, we've been in Proverbs for this, this series and there's a verse in Proverbs that I believe, I believe the author of Proverbs gives us a glimpse into what a healthy financial life looks like. It's in uh, Proverbs um, chapter 30. Um, but but let's, let's go to a, ver- a chapter from last week first. Let's, let's go to um, Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Then we'll get to Proverbs chapter 30. So Ecclesiastes um, chapter 5. Let's, let's look at what it says there. If y'all remember this one, it says, Whoever loves money has... Uh, whoever loves money never has enough. That's Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10. Right? Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This, too, is meaningless. And so we see right here that the author is introducing this concept of enough. Right? So what does financial health look like? He's introducing to us this concept of enough. It looks like having enough and living off of enough, and, and but even also uh, because I think there's a slide for that. Uh, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. All the proverbs defines financial health as having and living off of enough, and and I would have to change that a little bit. Um, I don't want to change the slides at the last minute. So, um, but having is is having enough and recognizing that that is enough, right? And being satisfied and content with enough and then living off of what is enough. If you look at Proverbs chapter 30, the verse I referenced at first, uh, just if you're in Ecclesiastes, you flip over a couple of pages. Proverbs chapter 30, verse uh, 7. Listen to what it says. Two things I ask of you, Lord, do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Right? Poverty nor riches. That's a... um. It's a good prayer for us to pray. Like I, I feel like this is a model prayer when we think about our finances, right? Give me neither poverty nor riches. And then listen to why he says this, because some of y'all are like, I've been praying for riches uh, for a long time, and I'm, I see it coming. Um, uh, uh, give me neither poverty nor riches, but only my daily bread. Only what is enough for today. Right? Only give me my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and still and so dishonor the name of my God. And so here in Proverbs, we see like these two extremes, if you will. Right. There's uh, poverty on one side. There's riches on the other. Right. And at these two extremes, both of them will constantly tug us away from the will of God. And I struggle with this this week um, because, because I, I think we can say uh, clearly and decisively uh, with confidence that poverty is never the will of God, right? That poverty is not God's will for human beings in this world. And with the Bible laying these out as, 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 as extremes, like there was something to me that wanted to say the same thing for the opposite extreme that was just as destructive, that riches... I don't really want to say it, right? It's never God's will necessarily for us in this world. And I don't, and, and I'm, so I'm, I'm, I'm kind of processing this out loud before you instead of saying an affirmative statement. Um, and what I think 
Proverbs is showing us. It's showing us that at both of those extremes, there is great danger there. Be careful when you are living at either extreme because the forces to pull you away from the will of God are stronger there. So, all right, so, so y'all are like, well, what? you're supposed to know what you're telling us. Um, so here's what, what I, think, I think I'll say. Um, if you desire wealth and riches, be prepared for that because it's going to tug at your soul unlike you can imagine, right? It's just going to work that way. When you gain wealth, be care- what is it? Be careful what you ask for because you just might get it and it won't be all that it's cracked up to be is what the author of Proverbs is saying. And if you find yourself in a place of poverty, or even if you ask for that, you choose that. There have been some insane people throughout history who've choose, chosen to live in poverty, right? If, if you are asking for that, right, or find yourself there, be careful of the place that you are in because it's going to tug at your soul like nothing else, right? Ever in life does, right? He says, give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. The safest, healthiest financial place for us to be is in this place where we have enough and that alone we're satisfied with, right? That we're satisfied with having enough. Now you you say like, well, what is enough, right? Um, Because in our society, that's a foreign concept uh, and very relative. You know, it's not like the Bible said, well, give you, you know, um, um, they, they didn't throw out a number for us, right? Sometimes I wish the Bible would have thrown out a number. This is what enough is for you to live off of. And, and so what we must do for our financial health and financial future is that we have to strive to be as open as possible to what God would want for our lives. And we have to enter into this conversation with God. And say, hey, hey, God, maybe not, maybe not that casual, maybe that casual, right? He's, he's all right with that. Um, what, what is it? Like, what is it? What is enough for me and my family where I am right now? What is, what does enough look like? There's this honest conversation that we must have if we're concerned about the stability of our faith, uh, the health of our relationship with God where we have to openly and honestly pray about, enter into conversation with God, and be open with ourselves with what enough looks like. Because as we exceed enough and have no plans for what's the excess, right? So so what I'm not saying is, I'm not saying, all right, so you've gotten to your enough, right? Um, You've made enough that you need to live off of. You've determined, hey, you know, I, you know, I've decided this is enough. This is all I need. And then your boss comes to you and it's like, hey, we're promoting you. Um, and with that comes a 10% increase. What I'm not saying is go, ah, y'all keep that. Y'all just, y'all just keep that. That's all right. I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Now, I'm not saying that. Y'all are probably like, oh, I'm not doing that. But what, what, I, what, what I am saying, what the scriptures are, are showing us is that if we don't find something healthy and productive to do with the overflow of our enough, then that overflow will consume us and drag us into uh, dishonorable uh, character and attitudes and actions that ultimately will pull and tug at our souls and will pull us away from from God. And what we see in, in Proverbs and throughout all of Scripture is that greed, right? And that's what we're talking about this morning. Um, greed is the enemy 
of enough, that greed is the enemy of enough. So if we've figured out what's enough to live off of and we still have this thirst and desire for more, right? Um, and we still have this, um, this want to make more and we work hard and we pursue after it and we gain more, right? Um, um, income, money, and we don't have something good and productive, godly to do with that more, um, then we will find ourselves sinking quickly into greed, which will tug us away from the will of God. And so the third principle, right? The first one was put God first in your finances, then act your wage. Third one is exterminate, exterminate greed, right? Get rid of greed in your life. Now, greed is this um, inordinate desire um, that magnifies the value of money and the things it affords, right? So it's this, this ideal of, like, um, money has a value in our world. But the more greedy we are and the more greedy we become, we add on to that value and our desire for money and our desire for things in this world becomes significantly greater as a result of greed because it's magnified the value of money and it's magnified the value of things that it affords. In fact, um, um, Proverbs shows us that, that greed will um, cause us to lose our ability to judge between what's necessary and needed and what is not. Look at, look at a, a couple of pages before where we were in Proverbs chapter 15, verse 27. Listen to what it says about the greedy. The greedy bring ruin to their households, but the one who hates bribes will live. And so it's showing us um, um, that this greedy person does not know how to say no, right? When greed has taken root in our lives, um, the more we can get, we want, right? Uh, we want all that we can get. We don't know how to say no, right? It's uh, more, more, more. And, and this is seen in the accumulation of stuff that we have. My wife and I, we bought a house um, uh, just right around the corner, a uh, little three-bedroom ranch, um, uh, three-bedroom, two-bath. It was actually one and a half bath when it was built, kind of a, a smaller house. Um, and, um, and, and, has, and has anybody, it's 1950s home, and anybody who has lived in a 1950s home knew they didn't make, they didn't make large closets in the 1950s. I don't know what the deal was. Um, I don't know, maybe that's a sign of greed uh, in our lives. Um, but uh, my wife's shoes alone, so I won't throw her on the. I, actually, we um, we were we had, we were cleaning our shoe closet just this week, and I was like, man, where we get all these shoes from? Um, but but I, I started to go, and, and I'm going to do it. I'm going to go across the street to my neighbor across the street. I want to have a conversation with him because he raised his kids in in, in a house that's identical to ours, right? And we're already going. This house is getting small. Um, because it's filling up with stuff. Um, and the accumulation of stuff, right? Um, the fact that what was at one time sufficient is now insufficient is a sign of greed taking hold in our society. The fact that we need more space, more room to store our stuff because we're accumulating it because, of course, we need more. Because we can't say no. And so a clear sign of that is um, the fact that houses like that are, are, um, aren't considered desired anymore. Because after all, we don't have enough space for all of our stuff. And so if you wonder if we are becoming, as a people, more greedy, um, a clear sign of that is in the way that we're building our houses. You rarely will see a new build on a house that does not have a walk-in closet, right? <laughs> it's, just, it's rarely seen. Um, and because we need more space to store our stuff, because we don't know how to say no. And listen to what Proverbs says, the greedy bring ruin on their household, right? Those who don't know how to say no to more, who always need more, who are filling their spaces of their property with stuff, bring ruin on their household. And here's the reason why. Because it says, but the one who hates bribes will live. Because when it comes to danger, right, the point of danger, we've learned the habit of saying yes 
to more and living in pursuit of more. And it blinds us to the fact when we've actually reached enough and when it gets dangerous for us, right, whether it's bribes, whether it's anything else that's destructive for our life and our financial futures, we have not developed the habit of saying no to ourselves and we find ourselves saying yes and looking back in retrospect wishing that we hadn't because it's bringing, bringing destruction and ruin on our houses as the Bible said that it would. And so what the Bible teaches us over and over again, and particularly in the New Testament, it tells us to kill greed, to exterminate it, to get rid of it in our lives. In fact, if you look at uh, Ephesians chapter, um, chapter 3 in the New Testament, there's this verse here that I've always associated it um, 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 uh, with, with sexual immorality because it says not even a hint of sexual immorality should be in our lives. Look at Ephesians chapter 5. This, this is, I've, I've, always, I've always seen that because... I first encountered this verse as a teenager, um, and, and uh, yeah, it, as a teenager, I was far from the Lord. It was a sad day, right? Um, <laughs> so so I'll, I'll just be honest, right? Um, but listen to what it says in verse 3. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality. I never read that verse really past that. I kind of went to my room and cried. Um <laughs> Um, um, but, but it goes on, right, or any kind of impurity or of greed because uh, these are improper for God's holy people, right? Uh, so there must not be a hint of three things, but one is relevant to our discussion this morning, right? Greed, right? There should not even be a hint of greed in your life. The Bible's teaching us to exterminate greed, to get rid of it, to kill it, to do away with it. In Colossians, if you just go over a couple of books of the Bible over, uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, listen to what it says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, again, it's like... um, we could go. We could do a whole series on that because that that tugs at our soul as well, right? So let me just let me just pause there, um, and 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 we we learn that right. Um, a, a lot of people have learned that by experience. Um, it will tug at our soul and pull us away from the Lord. But that's not our discussion this morning. Um, but there, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to the earthly nature: sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed which is idolatry, right? These are things that become objects of our worship that tug us away from God. And the Bible is showing us that we need to exterminate all greed in our lives. Now, the thing that happens over and over again, and that I'm sure is happening right now uh, in, our, in our own minds and hearts, right, as we think about this, is that, we, that greed is this sin that we're quick to exonerate ourselves of. We're quick to say, no, not me. I'm not greedy, right? Uh, because we have these um, big images of, of greed in our society, right? They're Oh, excuse me. I kind of burnt there. <laughs> mm. um, sorry. Um, that we have these big images of greed in our society. And that, that as a result of those, right, as a result of those images of greed, right, these major examples of greed, we're quick to say, I'm not, after all, I'm not greedy, right? I, I, got, I have one car and it's, you know, it's affordable. I only have a you know seventeen hundred square foot house, right? And it's it's affordable. I'm not I'm not I'm not greedy. We're quick to say that doesn't apply to me, that that's not true in in my life, that that I'm not greedy because our society is filled with, and even media is filled with these major examples of people whose greed was so obvious that everyone knew it. And greed is one of those things that's easy for us to hide and disguise. In fact, what we see, um, what researchers are telling us is that greed finds its origin in a time where scarcity was a reality. In fact, I wrote this this quote down. Um, This guy, Charles Eisenstein, listen to what he says. And I thought this was so key for understanding greed. He says, greed makes sense in the context of scarcity. Greed makes sense in the context of scarcity. Our reigning ideology assumes it is built into our story of self. Both biology and economics have therefore written greed into their basic axioms. We're going to talk about this if you're not 
tracking with me. We'll, we'll back up a little bit. Uh, in biology, it's a gene seeking to maximize reproductive self-interest. In economics, it's the rational actor seeking to maximize self-interest. But what if the assumption of scarcity, right, this idea that there's not enough, this assumption of scarcity in our actual world today, right, what if this scarcity assumption is false, a projection of our ideology and not ultimate reality? If so, then greed is not written into our biology, but a mere symptom of the perception of scarcity. Maybe you've known an older adult that lived through um, the Depression and a time when things were really scarce. And they went it passed by a penny on the ground without picking it up, right? And they saved every dime they had and in old age became hoarders because they couldn't let go of a thing because they knew what real scarcity looked like. They knew what real scarcity looked felt like. Greed finds its origins in times of scarcity, times of not enough. But here's what happens, right? In times when there is enough and there's pennies on the ground to be had and are just stepped over, in times where we have our needs being met, we're able to have enough to live off of. Greed is carried over from times past, written into our genes, where it's human nature to feel like we need more. It's not human nature to say no to more. I don't need more. I have enough, right? That's something that's totally foreign in our society. I have enough, right? No one ever says that. We always need more because greed is written into our genes. And here's the problem with greed. Is that it's never satisfied. It's never satisfied. In fact, I believe one of the reasons why it exists, because I kind of wrestled with this, um, one of the reasons it exists in these verses in the New Testament alongside things like sexual immorality and lust is because it's a cousin of those, right? It acts in a very similar way, right? Nobody that is um, 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 lustful, right, uh, in a sexual way, we'll, you know, throw that out there. No one ever looks once and says that's enough. <laughs> no one ever looks Five times and says, I've had enough. No one ever logs onto that website they shouldn't be on and says, I've had enough um, because it's never satisfied. It's just not a satisfiable uh, thing, sin at work within us, right? It never has enough. And greed is the same way. And there are seeds of greed within each and every one of us. And if we're living in denial and saying it's just not there, it's never going to be satisfied. Ultimately, it's going to multiply and it will lead us away from the will and way of God. It will lead us to destruction. And so the Bible saying not even a hint of greed, not even a hint, a little bit, put it to death, find it in your life because ultimately it will hinder your progress towards the Lord. Now, I think with this kind of a a practical application, and we'll get to some more practical steps, at least three, four of them this morning, um, but, but more than anything, this, this verse is calling us to have an open and honest conversation with ourselves where we are asking and we are praying to God to help us identify the hint of greed in our lives, where we humble ourselves and we don't say, greed, not me, not my life, but we find the ways that it is present in our life, um, because I've seen this over and over again um, with all kinds of different 
um, um, attributes and even addictions in people's lives that we are good during a season, but those things creep up on us when we're just not ready. And so greed may not be overwhelming you in this season, but the Bible is saying, hunt it down, find it in your life, kill it, because it will creep up on you in another season of your life. The Bible is telling us to exterminate it. And so there's a few things that we can do, I think, to exterminate greed in our lives. I think the first thing we have to do is identify where greed is hiding in our lives. Identify where greed is hiding in our lives. Now, I use this word exterminate, and it reminds me of like the pest control guy, the Orkin man. That, that, that Orkin man, that song has been playing over and over in my head. And when you call out the Orkin man or some kind of pest control person, what's the first thing they do? They don't just come out and jump out of their truck just spraying all over the place, right? They, they look to identify where the pest, right, is hiding in your, on your property, in your house, in your yard. They look to find out what the problem that you're, you're having actually is. It could be uh, rodents. It could be mice. It could be termites. It could be bed bugs. It could be all kinds of stuff. Um, but, and so they don't just begin treating, right? They look to find, they identify where greed pests are hiding. And we must look and identify where greed is hiding in our lives. And, and, and here's the thing with greed is that it's a, a vice that often hides behind virtue. So saving is a good thing. Um, but greed can easily hide behind the act and practice of saving. Because when is enough enough? When can I have saved enough that I'm able to say yes to the generosity that God is calling me to? You see, we'll magnify saving because it's a good thing and it'll cause us to say no to generosity, which is a value here at Tri-Cities Church, by the way. Um, It'll cause us to say no to generosity because after all, I'm doing a good thing. I'm saving. We'll say yes to budgeting, right? Uh, And we'll end up saying no to God because we just can't see how we can squeeze God into our already tight budget, right? And so while budgeting is a good thing, right, it's a, it's a, um, it's a, a, a virtue, a greed as a vice can disguise itself behind that virtue. And so we got to be careful in our lives to really examine, and here's the deal, examine our motives because, um, because that's the one thing that no one else can examine, right? You can get into a small group, at church. You can have an accountability partner, somebody that's supposed to hold you accountable and to challenge you to continue growing in the Lord, right? You can, um, you can do these things that are supposed to produce positive results in your life, but no one knows your motive, but you, no one knows your heart, but you, and we have to lay it bare before the Lord and say, hey, where's Where's greed hiding in my life? So the first thing we have to do is look for where greed is hiding in our life. Second thing we have to do is we have to treat infested areas uh, with generosity and compassion. Treat infested areas with generosity and compassion. And so if I've been, let's just say, use the savings example as well. If I've had this savings goal for the last 10 years and my wife and I have been saving like crazy, right? Everything we get that's beyond our need, we're putting in savings. We're not giving to any charities. We're not giving uh, to the church. We have this savings goal. The only way that we'd be able to treat this infested area of greed in our lives would be to begin giving like crazy, to begin acting generously when it doesn't make sense, to begin acting generously even when it distracts us from this goal that we set because our God is no longer in this category over here, but now he's, um, 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 he's, he's overflowing into all the categories of my life. In influencing how I act there as well. You see, we have to uh, treat greed with actions that are diametrically opposed to greed, with actions that go 
in the opposite direction of them. And that's one of the reasons why we as a church emphasize generosity, because it kills, it gets rid of some of the things that hinder us from saying no to God, because generosity is completely about saying yes. And the practice itself does something in our heart to transform it to the way and will of God. Third thing we have to do. So first thing, what was it? Identify where greed is hiding our lives. Second is treat infested areas um, with, um, with uh, generosity and compassion. Third thing that we have to do is we have to defend the perimeter of our lives from greed. So when you, when you call the Orkin man or whoever you call for your pest control and he comes out and he finds what's going on, maybe he puts some bait stations or something in your house or he comes around and sprays, um, that stuff is nasty, by the way, um, but he sprays that stuff. What are you supposed to do? Let roaches come in your house? No, you get a guy to spray. Um, so he comes out and he sprays and then he, he maybe puts some stuff around the perimeter of your, of your house, right, to keep stuff from coming in. But what he does not do, and this is... This is um, what the Bible even warns us against doing. What he does not do is say, well, you know, your neighbor got some roaches over in their yard, so I'm going to treat their yard too. And the guy next to him, he got roaches in his yard. And what we end up doing is we end up worrying about everybody else and not defending our perimeter. But what the Bible shows us is that when it comes to greed, we have to set up practices in our lives to defend the perimeter of our lives from greed. Whether it's a practice of giving, whether it's a practice of decluttering and giving away, whether it's a practice of sitting on a purchase that we want for several weeks, maybe even months before we buy it, asking the question, do I really need it, right? develop these practices in our lives that help us not to fall into the trap of, of greed. We have to defend our, our perimeter. In fact, this morning I have a good example of defending my perimeter. So uh, some of y'all know I am, um, <clears throat> if you live close to me, you might really know. Um, so, so some of y'all know that I have a, I have a chicken coop in my backyard. Um, so we, we raise chickens for eggs. Uh, something I decided to get into and some other folks, you know, uh, uh, we're into it. And so I was just like, oh, yeah, that looks cool. Uh, nice to have fresh eggs in the backyard every day. Go pick up, pick some eggs. And we got these chickens all supposed to be females. None supposed to be a rooster. One is a rooster. Um, so every morning it crows. So if you live in the vicinity of the church and you hear rooster crow, and that's me probably nine times out of 10, um, <clears throat> can be annoying. I don't know what I'm going to do with it. it. May become dinner soon. Um, we'll see. It's almost full grown now. So it's almost full grown. So Fried chicken, fresh fried chicken from the backyard. Um, but, but I have this issue, right, this, this pest issue, um, because, because apparently rats like chicken feed. Um, and so I have these rats, and I, I think I told you all about the rats, the size of the rats in my yard. They're just massive. Um, and so the cats have gotten some of them. Uh, I think there's, there's like, there's an owl. This, it was just this morning. This owl sounded like a dog that was barking. I mean, this owl was so loud. It was louder than the rooster. I was like, good gracious, this owl is loud. Um, And I think they're they're trying to find rats. I put a rat trap out there. I mean, all kinds of stuff. I've been at war with these rats. I mean, I'm defending the perimeter of my um, um, uh, coop. It looks like a fortress. I got these big 80-pound granite stones that, like, go around it. Like, I'm defending the perimeter. I'm trying to get rid of these rats. This morning, I go out, right, and, um, and the dogs run straight up to this rat trap. It's one of those boxes, and they're sniffing it. And I was like, one sniffed it, then the other one sniffed it. And I was like, something's, something's in there. I got one. Um, because I've been defending the perimeter of my coop. And, and I'll tell you, all I got one. It's still sitting in there. And I'm glad. And I'm going to hang it up as a sign to the other ones that might decide to come. It's going to be hanging there from his little tail uh, as a sign to the rest. <laughs> Warning. <laughs> this is not safe territory. Um, hey, and we have to do the same thing in our life. There need to be warning signs all over our lives that this is not safe territory for greed. That greed does not belong here. And the only way that we let the world know, let greed know, let Satan know that this is not safe territory is by hanging up defeated greed in our life. By defeating it daily through practices of generosity, 
and compassion. Then the final thing, fourth thing we have to do is repeat, right? You don't call out the orkin man once. He goes, hey, when do you want me to come out again, right? Let's set this up on a regular. He's not just trying to get your money, although he is. (laughs) But that's not his only motive, right? That's not his only motive. He has other motives. Uh, He's not just trying to get your money, right? He's helping you to eliminate your pest problem. And so he says, hey, I'm going to come out I'm gonna come out in three months, right? I'm going to come out again, and we'll, we'll treat again. We'll treat the perimeter again. And that's the way we have to do in our lives. We can't think that we've dealt with greed in our lives and we're done with it. Because that's just not reality. We're fooling ourselves. We're making ourselves vulnerable. And it will creep into our lives. And as Proverbs 15 says, it will bring destruction to our households. I think the the challenge here of this passage is to take greed seriously because it has such great power. We got to search for it, identify it, treat it, defend the perimeter, and repeat all the days of our life because as soon as we let our guards down, it'll come creeping right back in. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks this morning that you give us this opportunity to um, study this passage on on greed. And I um, I think I stand in the same place that a lot of people do and say, hey, I don't I don't struggle with 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 greed. Of course, that's that's um, that's that's Scrooge or Daddy Warbucks that struggles with uh, greed. It's not it's not me. I don't have a house that's too big or too many cars. Or, In fact, my bank account's looking kind of slim and I'm not sure I've reached my enough yet. I don't, I don't struggle with greed. God, I pray that you will help us this week to identify the places where this desire called greed is resting in our heart that's magnifying the value of money and the things that it affords. And God, I pray that the value of God and the lordship of Jesus Christ in our lives will be magnified so great that we'll do the difficult work of finding greed and exterminating it. That we can walk more fully and clearly in the way and will of God. We give you thanks. It's in your son Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.